Hello, it's Emily, the host and creator of the Modern Romantic Podcast. I just wanted to interrupt really quickly to say thank you so much for your support. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the likes and comments and follows. Thank you for sharing with your friends and family and fellow artists. And your positive reviews on podcast platforms are not lost on us. We see every one. So we appreciate you and thank you again for joining us. Hello and welcome to the Modern Romantic Podcast, where we celebrate and inspire romanticism through passionate people doing incredible things. Hi, I'm Trey, and as always, I am joined by my fantastic co-host, Emily. Hello. Let me do this. Emily. Here I am. <laughs> uh, and we are also joined by our moderator, Josh. Hi, Josh. Hello, hello. Um well, I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to get to talk to this incredible guest this evening. Um, I have had a chance to look at his Instagram. We've been able to look at some of the photography that he's done. Um, but Emily, would you do an, a nice uh, introduction for our lovely guest here? I would love to. Doug is like an adventure photographer. He has visited all seven continents, 47 of the 50 states, um, basically everywhere. Um, and he went on a photographic expedition in a, in an art Antarctica. I almost couldn't say that with the National Geographic ship uh, resolution. And he has had so many adventures and we're here to talk all about them. Please welcome Doug Talbot. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be here with you all to say the least. Oh my goodness. Where should we start? Um, my goodness, pick a country or <laughs> pick, a, pick a continent. Well, I want to know what got you interested in photographing in general. Well, that, that's a great, great question. Um, it really started, um, I've, I've thought a lot about this and it's, I want to go back to, to mom and dad who are no longer here, um, but they, uh, mom more than dad, uh, they both love photography. Mom, mom loved to take pictures. Dad more just to look at pictures he wasn't you know that interested you know in in taking it and i remember um my first experience with a camera i was about seven or eight years old and it was one of those little brownie cameras that you you didn't hold up to your eye you looked down um and it had a yeah it was there was a little piece of glass kind of thing and and you looked through that and so he walked around like this. Um, and that was my first introduction, you know, two pictures. Um, and I'd always been fascinated by them because they're our house. Um, I grew up in, in Dayton, Ohio, um, and we had lots of pictures throughout the house. Um, but my, my, my passion for travel was really hatched there um, because inside this house, which had originally belonged to my um, grandfather, dad's dad, um, there was this incredible room and it was called the cabin. And it was a large room that was uh, duplicated the inside of a log cabin. And the walls were, had the big wooden beams in them. And on, my, uh, on the ground were bear rugs, and then there were um, trophies throughout the, on the wall 
And I remember some of my earliest uh, memories were, were particularly around Christmas because we would go down in the cabin and, and it had a big stone fireplace and we would decorate all of the animals there. And uh, then we'd call up the chimney. Everybody would, you know, give their, their wishes for, for Christmas, what they wanted to get. And uh, Big Bud, that was dad's, dad's dad, wrote a book called The Cabin. And it was stories about um, how he collected those trophies. And I remember thinking that, gee, would it be fun to visit those places? Um, and from a very young age, I, I really wasn't that interested in hunting, uh, per se. Although, you know, to dad, it was important that, that we um, do hunting. And we did primarily ducks and geese. And we went on some great trips. Um, I remember we went up to, when I was, oh my gosh, we lived in Dayton. We would go up to Sandusky, Ohio, which was on the shore of Lake Erie. And we would hunt up there with my Uncle Bud, who was just a terrific guy, too. And we would, we would duck hunt. And we had a, uh, a Chesapeake Bay retriever named Chief. And we'd take Chief in the car and go up and, and hunt there. And that, that went on for, well, several years. I remember um, when I was 15, um, we flew from Dayton, Ohio to Stuttgart, Arkansas. And, you know, Stuttgart is about a three or four hour drive south I think it's southwest of us, um, little town of about 5,000. And I remember standing there on the shore, not the shore, but on, on these rice fields. What they did was they each fall, they flood uh, the rice fields. And I looked off in the, in the distance and I said, oh my gosh, look at that. that that's a thunderstorm coming in. And, and the guide, uh, never forget his name, his name was Jiggs was there and he said Doug that that that's not a thunderstorm those are ducks and if, if you look at Stuttgart it is the um kind of the bottom of the funnel the Midwest flyway and each year during the fall the ducks migrate from Canada uh down to little old Stuttgart Arkansas and so we would um we put on these uh hip waders and we'd go out you know before it before dawn, we'd stand behind these trees and there'd be a clearing of about, oh my gosh, 20 yards maybe uh, circular and they'd have the, the decoys out there and then the guys you know, would call the ducks in and we'd shoot them. And dad was always really good about um, saying, you know, we're never going to kill more than we can eat. Um, and that's that was really planted a seed inside of me that about conservation and, and the importance of not um, taking too much. Um, and he never wanted, he never talked about, you know, wanting to, to take big trophies like his dad had done. Um, and so those two things began to, to meld for me, the, the travel, of course, and then the interest in conservation. Um, and 
photography grew uh, because mom and dad were very encouraging um, of my photography. And I remember mom had a shell cabinet uh, that she had built into the walls of the house uh, in one room in, in Dayton. And I remember um, when I was 16, I took pictures of the, of the shell cabinet and, and gave it to her. And that's where my interest in sharing my photography, I think, was really born uh, and nurtured because she was so appreciative of, you know, the fact that I had put together a little photo album for her. Um, and that love of sharing pictures is, um, has just grown, you know, through the, the many years um, because I, I do have that Instagram account and I do have this calendar. Um, and I've, I've found that, that over the years, my, my passion for photography really has, has grown primarily towards uh, nature photography and wildlife. Um, although I, <laughs> I have done uh, 10 weddings in the last five years, um, and that, that's a whole different kind of wildlife. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's, it's, fortunately, yes, exactly, Emily. Um, these, um, it's the most stressful kind of photography I've ever done. Um, and it, and it quickly believe this, this is not something that I want to um, make my living doing. Uh, and, and God bless the people who, who want to be made, um, wedding photographers. Um, because that's a very difficult kind of photography because people are, are so stressed out and um, the, the amount of pressure that you feel um, is enormous because the thing I love about nature photography is that if I blow a picture of a bird or an elk or a deer or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the animal doesn't care. Um, but if you blow a picture at a wedding, um, you will hear about it <laughs> for a long time. Um, and I've had, have had friends who uh, have told me that um, they have lost, you know, wedding pictures and that it was just a nightmare. Um, fortunately, that never happened to me. So we, we never, never had to do that. Um, but seriously, the, the, the love of travel, um, uh, which mom and dad and, and actually my grandmother, you know, really helped inspire too, because she took us on some wonderful trips down to the Caribbean and we went to Jamaica and Nassau, uh, Eleuthera, um, Exuma, um, and that again, just sparked my love of, of seen different parts of the world. Um, and what I've grown to appreciate is that, you know, cultures around the world, um, really all of us are, are uniquely the same. I mean, we all basically want the same things. You know, we want to love and be loved. We want to basically have a freedom of choice and, and we, we want to be able to live our lives in peace. Um, and, all the rest of the stuff, the differences in food and dress and language, um, I find really interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm most interested in, in 
getting to to know the people you know in the particular places we've been um, which we've been very very fortunate um, and <laughs> this is Stella our our husky who is over here who's hi, calling Stella. Out. <laughs> hi Stella you want to say hi to everybody come here we were, let's see, in the fall of 2019, um, Rosie, my wife, and I, we went to uh, Australia. And we flew in from L.A. Uh, we flew from here to L.A. and then L.A. to um, Melbourne, 14 and a half hours. Um, the good news is we had saved up enough money so we could fly in business class. Um, so we were able to, you know, be a little more comfortable to say the yeah. least but we started off in melbourne with um and we went with a tour group we've been with before called tauk t-a-u-c-k okay. um yeah it's an older um organization they've been around since about 1920 and um they're they're great um expensive but but certainly worth it um because it was a smaller group and and the guide was just amazing <laughs> It's this walking encyclopedia of the history of Australia. Um, but we started off in Melbourne, and then we um, flew to Ayers Rock, which is, oh my gosh, we could do a whole show on Ayers Rock. I mean, that is, that's an amazing monument. It's this giant mountain that's about 80% underground. Um, what's visible on the ground to the top is about 1,200 feet and it's about five miles in circumference and it and it changes color um so from a photographic perspective it's it's just wonderful because it, it apparently there's a lot of iron ore in the mountain and um at night uh, i'm sorry at sunset it's it's a bright orange um because the light is reflecting off the iron ore but wow. then um yeah oh, oh it's gorgeous we've got well, a picture up here on the wall of, of, of it, um, which is, is very nice. Um, but then we went back the following morning, and it's a dark brown um, because, again, the light is, is not shining as brightly on it. Um, and there's a whole history about that mountain and how it's, it's sacred land. Um, and people used to be allowed to walk up on top, and that stopped, as a matter of fact, on our trip because uh, it was returned, the mountain was returned to the indigenous uh, people, and they, it's it's sacred land to them, which is great, and I'm glad they, they stopped, you know, uh, allowing people to climb up there, uh, because unfortunately, you know, some folks have, have um, you know, carved their initials in it, and, you know, just doing things that they shouldn't. Um, yeah, vandalism isn't cool. <laughs> Good point. It's like, oh, mom, why? Um, but my point being that that to get up there, there was just a rope, um, and people were pulling themselves up, and there aren't any steps. Uh, and unfortunately, some people have you know fallen from it. Um, so I'm I'm glad they stopped the the uh, tourist part of it. But that was a lot of fun to go to, and then we went. From there, we flew up to Cairns, um, which is up on the northeast coast, and got on a big uh, catamaran. And we went out to 
the Great Barrier Reef. And I had waited to scuba dive on the Great Barrier Reef since I was 10 years old. And there we were. Um, let's see, where was that? That was 19, so that was four years ago. So I was six, yeah, 68. Four years so ago was 1968. I, I waited or I waited 58 years to okay. scuba dive on, on the wow. Great <laughs> Okay. And that that's been so much fun because we've done a lot of scuba diving all over the world. Um, and the um, what was what was fun, um, Rosie decided to do a different kind of trip. She uh, or diving. They have um, you put on these these big helmets. And sit on top of your head and rest mm. on your shoulders and they have an air hose going to the surface and then you walk down this underwater platform oh. and so she she decided to do that i went scuba diving um and i was the only one who signed up for two dives and so on the second dive it was just myself and, and this i'll never forget it. her name was was carmel um she was the you know the, the guide and when she discovered that I was competent, um, she took me places that they normally don't, um, which was so much fun. That's so awesome. I got, to, yeah, yeah, it was it was really exciting to see parts of the Great Barrier Reef um, that m most people don't get to see. Um, and even back then, though, they were having um, bleaching problems with the coral from the the warmer waters, which unfortunately is still going on, um, not only there, but in other parts of the world. And, and particularly with this heat wave that's going on, we've, you know, seen the, the extremely warm waters down the Florida Keys. Um, and that that's a big concern because the coral reefs are such a um, protective barrier um, in many ways. And also they're a breeding ground for so many, um, you know, fish and um, sea life. Um, so, and then we went, of course, you gotta, if you go to Australia, you gotta, gotta go to the Sydney Opera House. So we went oh, down yeah. there. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful structure. Oh, Trey, are you into opera? Um. <laughs> I love that question so much. I'm going to clip that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I actually have two degrees in music, uh, and I trained, uh, to be a classical singer for about eight years. Oh my goodness! Well, congratulations. Thank well, you. Yeah, we'll have Emily. We'll do a show on his singing one day. You know? I love that. That'll be great. That'd be fun. So, that was that was great to see that that opera house. Yeah. Um, and Sydney itself, and there's there's quite a contrast between Sydney and Melbourne. Um, mm -hmm. Sydney is much more um, cosmopolitan and and reminded me very much of New York, um, okay. which um, is a terrific city in terms of opportunity. Um, I would never live there, but it was, um, it's extremely crowded and Sydney's the same way. Whereas Melbourne had a much more, um, how to put it, just congenial atmosphere. Um, and it was just at the, when I, when I win, um, publishers clearinghouse, um, or the lottery, <laughs> right. that I'm, I'm really the joke of the family because I've been playing these for decades and I think I've won a total of a hundred dollars and spent far more than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just the little and, cards to go in the camera aren't much cheaper than that anymore. Exactly. So. Exactly. And so I seriously um, would love to um, 
to to win one of those so I could have a a condo in Melbourne um, and, and tour Australia. But anyway, back focusing more on the photography. We'll, we'll uh, keep you in well, mind for when we win the lottery. Exactly. <laughs> I, I suddenly will get all of these emails. Hi, Doug. Remember me? You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like they're going to kind of come out of the woodwork. Uh, one of the things I say, like, even though we aren't winning the lottery or even though, you know, we're not having the we're not the billion dollar winner of the lottery, you have it seems like you've done a lot of things based on your biography, based on your um, the photos that you've taken, that you've experienced a wealth that not many other people get to see. And you get to see a side of life that, again, not everyone gets to see. And I think that, that has a lot of value. Um, one of the questions that we got in our chat from uh, Sandra was, what has been your favorite place to do a photo shoot? Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you, Sandra. Um, the reality of that or the, the answer to that is there is no favorite place because there's several of them. Um, and uh, I'm going to jump are, back to I guess yeah. what are a few of your favorites then? I'm, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to, certainly one of them is, is Australia. I mean, Australia is so, oh, it's a photographer's paradise. Um, just for example, Ayers Rock. I mean, just photographing. There are caves, most people don't know this, but there are caves at the base of Ayers Rock too. Um, mm. And those go back thousands of years. Um, and they're, they're paintings and markings in the caves, oh, which is, there's a whole history about that, you know, the Aborigines. Um, and um, that was certainly one of my, the highlights of that, um, you know, there. And of course, the kangaroos, you, you can't, you can't go to Australia and not, not enjoy, you know, the kangaroos. Um, we the probably woods. enjoy them more than they do, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the ruse. Um, and then let's jump over to, to Africa. Um, we were there in October of last year. Um, and we were in Botswana um, primarily. We, we, well, we flew in from uh, Atlanta to Johannesburg. And that was only a 15-hour and 15-minute flight um, there. So getting there is is shall we say tiring yeah uh, <laughs> but it's worth every every penny we we didn't um we just spent the night actually in johannesburg and then we went up to victoria falls um and that's that was a, a a really interesting place to photograph because we were there during the dry season and victoria you see it's it's basically think of a, a of a mini grand canyon it's about a mile long it's twice as high as Niagara Falls, about 300, it's about 360 some feet high. And the pictures you normally see, the entire canyon just cascading, you know, like a waterfall, you know, the whole thing is, but when we were there in the dry season, there were just um, periodic falls, if you will. And, and there was a lot of dry, raw, you know, dry wall, and then a, a waterfall and drywall and waterfall, that kind of thing. But there were some, I got some really good shots um, that actually one of them uh, I put on the uh, calendar, uh, the cover of the calendar uh, that was um, that particular area. The water was just cascading down. And so that that's a memory. But 
the Africa itself, um, oh my goodness. Um, we were in Botswana, which has the largest concentration of Africa of African elephants uh, in Africa. Uh, there are about 130-some thousand elephants there. Um, and wow. now they're spread throughout the country. Now, where we were, we were on the Chobe River, and we were with a, um, a particular tour group, which is called Pangolin Photo Safari, P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N. And pangolin is actually an animal. Yeah. And it looks, it looks like kind of an armadillo. Um, it, it's very prehistoric looking. We unfortunately didn't see any because I was just dying to get a picture of them because uh, I had seen so many of them. But the pictures that we did get of the elephants, um, the giraffes, the lions, um, the birds, oh my gosh, there are dozens and dozens of birds there. Um, the crocodiles, oh my goodness. Um, there, never forget the crocs. And, and then we saw some big ones. I mean, we're talking 15 footers. Um, yeah, lying on the shore with their <laughs> mouths open. And they, I mean, some of those were just, you know, chilling, you know, the thoughts of, uh, don't, don't go swimming in the Chobe River. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Don't so those, that's a definitely, that's, that, that was such an incredible place. Um, in the six days we were there, I, I took over 17,000 pictures. Um, wow. Yeah. And editing was, and, and, and editing, even though that's, is a pain in some ways, I, I enjoy it because I get to relive the trip. Um, and so literally brought it up one picture at a time to decide whether or not this was worth keeping. And I edited it down to um, 50 some picks. Um, wow. And yeah, I'll bring those up now and we'll, we'll go through all 50. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, it's um, amazing to call down from that many thousand down to that little. It's, I, I don't well, know it's, hard. Yeah. it's hard. It's hard. Um, but it, it does ring a bell for me, and, and that is that one, um, one of the things I love about photography is that um, a good photograph will tell you something or show you something. Okay. A great photograph will make you feel something. Hmm. Um, and, and you know it almost instantly when you see a picture that really grabs you emotionally somehow um that you know it's it's a great photo um and <clears throat> when i'm taking pictures and when i'm teaching um i i teach a course um in photography with there's a group yeah we ha we have here in fayetteville we have a, a wonderful organization that um sandra is intimately involved with she's uh the assistant director and Josh Rainey is, is our director of Ollie, which is Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And we have dozens and dozens of these organizations around the country. And they provide these wonderful courses on everything from photography to cooking, to sewing, to playing bridge, to uh, historical events, et cetera. And 
they're all lectures, you know, about two hours. And some of them have multiple lectures, very inexpensive. And it's a, it's a lifelong learning process, uh, which is great. But my point being that, that when I'm talking about trying to teach people some photography principles, I, I say to them, don't photograph what you see, photograph what you feel. And that sounds a little weird, but, but when you think about it, um, every picture that you take is trying to tell a story. Okay. Well, yeah. what are you feeling at that time? And, and so what you're feeling, that determines how you're going to take that picture. You know, what angle are you going to use? You know, what time of day? Um, you know, um, all sorts of things go into it. Um, but yeah, I think the, I think the best pictures are the ones that evoke those feelings. Um, you know, whatever they are. Um, so certainly, Africa. I mean, that's oh, when I win the lottery, we're going back. You know, um, and then of course, Antarctica. Um, that was that was magical. I tried to get Rosie to go with me, um, but she she kept saying. If you think I'm going to Antarctica in winter, you're crazy. I said, honey, we're not going in the winter. I said, I, we're going in January, height of their summer. Oh. And, okay. and believe it or not, the, the air temperature there actually was about 30 degrees, 30, 30 plus Fahrenheit. Um, and so it, it, at a times, it was very warm. Sure. But at times there were, we, we got into a couple storms. Um, <laughs> talk about storms. We'll talk about the Drake Passage in a minute. Um, but the, um, the storm, most of the time it, it was actually very comfortable. Um, and mm -hmm. she said, it was still, that would still be too cold. She said, I'm, I'm not going to go. And I said, I love you and I'll see you when I get back. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> and we seriously what was so much fun was that um god bless at&t and iphones because we were i was able to talk to her every day from the ship um wow. not all the time because the ship broadcast their signals up to it they had a satellite um you know somewhere up there and so the signal would bounce off that and then whatever but um I remember we, we do these Zoom calls once a week, my family, um, and then we're all, because I have five brothers and sisters, and we're scattered all over the country. And I actually was able to connect to the Zoom call from Antarctica, um, which was pretty amazing. Um, That's cool. Yeah. But seriously, um, it's like being on another planet. Um, the I've never been, Africa came close, but there was, um, there was a pristine quality about Antarctica that was just absolutely magical. Um, and the penguins, of course, we were, you know, on land twice a day. And, and the reason I, I chose to go with Ant, uh, National Geographic was that they, their selling point was they had they said we would have at least one national geographic photographer on board to to work with them. well all i can say is god smiled because we didn't have one 
we didn't have two. We had three wow. National Geographic photographers on board. Um, and you talk about a photographer being in seventh heaven. Um, yeah. It was just wonderful. These these guys were so attentive and so helpful. Um, and we were on land twice a day. We'd, we'd get into the Zodiac boats and then we'd leave from the mothership. <laughs> we'd, you know, fly, fly over to the to land and uh, then wander around on land for two hours. Um, and so I had four hours a day for six days. Um, actually, was it six or seven? Uh, no, we were on land six days. Yeah. And, okay. and the rest were going, getting down there and getting back. Um, but four hours a day with, with the tutorial of, of three National Geographic photographers. And, um, you know, I, uh, I took advantage of that, I think more than, than most folks, uh, cause some of them were kind of intimidated by them. Um, and yet they were very approachable. They weren't, you know, arrogant or condescending in any way. Right, yeah. Um, and the other reason I chose that ship was that we had lectures for two to three hours a day, um, every day. And we had on board, for example, we had a historian from Oxford who told, lectured us, uh, actually almost, let's say I'm trying to think, at least two lectures, each lecture being an hour long, on the history of the exploration of Antarctica. And that was fascinating, reading about or listening to him, you know, talk about the, the early explorers. Um, yeah. And, you know, Shackleton and, and uh, everybody else, just fascinating. Um, was one of the photographers, Joel's, is it Sartori or Sartori? Joel Sartori. No, I wish he had been because okay. um, uh, Sandra and I, um, you talk about using your photography for conservation and boy, talk about an inspiration. Um, Joel Sartori is just amazing. He's working on a project uh, called the Photo Arc. Yeah. And he, he is photographing every living animal that um, he can. So far he's photographed about 15,000. It's phenomenal. Um, yeah. 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 He's amazing. And we wanted to get him uh, for an Ollie course. Um, the mm. only problem was it was, well, shall we say, well above our budget. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> again, I'm going to start a GoFundMe page. To, um, <laughs> That's to another lottery winning moment. Yeah. Lottery. <laughs> when that lottery comes through, finally, I'm going to be able to afford to have Joel. But, um, I do have um, a couple of his CDs that he produced uh, through oh. National Geographic, which, um, and he's a wonderful photographer. Just yeah, amazing really great. stuff. Yeah. We got to um, interview him for the magazine when we were doing that. And uh, oh, gosh. That was, he was pretty neat. Yeah, he's very approachable. Um, you know, I think that was what, yeah, that would, that would be heaven to have uh, lunch or dinner with Joel, you yeah. know. And, so maybe we can get him for Ollie one day. So I'll let you know if we right. do. So. We'll work on him. <laughs> He's we'll working. work on if, it. We'll work if, on Joel, it. Joel, if you're watching, just ignore this next moment. Yeah. We'll have him there's on the a, podcast there's... and then we'll talk to him about 
<laughs> we'll help you out, Doug. <laughs> uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, all all contributions will be accepted. <laughs> hey, listen. There's one other quick story, and and there's there's no such thing as a short story with me. But, but <laughs> go for it. That, that, here we go. The, the reason I chose National Geographic is that the ship, um, which is the Resolution, is the sis sister ship of their first ship like this. It's called the Endurance. And it has what's known as the X-bow on the front. So it's curved. It's a semicircle. And, and people ask, well, who cares? And I said, well, if you get seasick, you care. Um, because the, the beauty of this ship is that, you know, most, most, the bows of most ships look like this. Yeah. Okay. They're, mm -hmm. they're raped back. And so what happens is when you hit waves, you ride up and you slam down. Okay. Well, with this ship, and remember there were 126 passengers and there were 112 crew, it would ride up, but then instead of slamming down, it would slice through the top of the wave. Oh, neat. And oh, so you man. ended up doing this, swimming like a dolphin does. Oh. Um, oh, and okay. I'm very sensitive to, to seasickness. Um, and for years, I've, I've taken a, a drug um, that, or two drugs, uh, one called Phenergan, which okay. has been around okay. for decades. It's an anti-emetic. Um, and then it makes you very sleepy, so then I took Sudafed to to wake me up. Um, so, oh, <laughs> not, rather not just caffeine. Oh my! <laughs> exactly. Well, one of our dearest friends down in the Florida Keys is this wonderful, wonderful guy named Jim Sharp, who's a uh, uh, fishing boat captain. And Rosie had um, been fishing and. Well, we've known Jim for 40 years, and, and Rosie won the 1986 um, Marlin tournament down there. She caught a 12-foot-long, 520-pound blue Marlin, and she bought it in in uh, an hour and four minutes, and we had that on a VCR tape. I used to go out with her, and I used to throw up for um, six or seven hours, and I, yeah, I... <laughs> I finally reached, I remember one time I, I've said, honey, I will pay you to take me back to shore. And she said, <laughs> are you kidding? I said, I have spent thousands of dollars to enter this tournament and you chose to come along. So you are going to ride it out. <laughs> so I said, yes, dear. Um, <laughs> two most important words to learn for any husband in marriage, yes, dear. Um, and you say it with great sincerity. Um, so. Someone clip that. <laughs> if he can't say yes, dear, dump him. He's, he's, he's not going to last. Uh, but anyway, the, um, the point being that Jim actually called me before I went to Antarctica, and he said, you know, I've, I've heard about this thing called relief band. Yeah. And I said, is, is it? you know, is it a rock group or what is it? And, and he said, no. <laughs> it's a charity <laughs> so, rock group. It's a charity rock group. It's like Live Aid. It, it, yeah. It looks like a watch and it has a rechargeable battery. And what it does, it sends an electrical impulse up this nerve. And I can't remember what that's called to the, um, 
nausea centers of the brain. Hmm. And it produces a tingle and you can adjust it depending on which model you had. Um, <laughs> sort of like the one I had was, was, was the, uh, I think that sort of the Cadillac version. And so I wanted to try, you know, what happens if you turn it up all the, all the way. So I turned it up all the way and my arms started going like this. <laughs> I, said, I said, I almost hit myself. So I had to be careful with it. It's working. Uh, yeah, it's, it's working. <laughs> but when we got into the, the, the Drake passage, <laughs> you know, I'm in the hallway doing this, you know, people, people thought I was having a spasm of some sort, you know. So anyway, the point being that I, I turned it down and I'm so glad. <laughs> so anyway, we, we hit the Drake Passage, which is the roughest waters in the world. And we, you know, we had what's known as a, a an average Drake shake. An average Drake shake means the waves are about 10 to 20 feet tall. Wow. And they can, they can get up to easily 30, 40 feet or more. Uh, <laughs> thank God we didn't hit those. That's not but, kayakable. <laughs> no. Oh, no. no. I think in kayaking. So Yeah, in kayaking. But it was, I'll tell you, it was, it was so much fun because I was, I never got seasick or nauseous. Good. I was, oh, one wow. of, and, and I would say about half of the passengers, you know, did. Um, and so it was great for me because I get to, got to wander around the ship and, you know, get to know all the crew while, while we're, it took us almost three days to get down because we went actually we went below the uh, the Antarctic Circle because um, the the weather was actually good enough and so uh, during all that time I got to photographers and um, we got some great shots with their help of the albatrosses you know the those beautiful beautiful birds that are they're magical in the, in the sense that they have a wingspan of about 10 to 11 feet and they you see them they just glide on the currents um, and they they rarely have to flap their wings um, and albatrosses they mate for life um, yeah and they they lay one egg and both parents take care of it um, and they can live up to 50 60 years wow. and they they, they go back to the same breeding ground and one will always arrive early and, you know, wait for the, for the mate to arrive. Um, and so that, you know, again, was part of the magic and, and it, just jumping back with Sandra's question, the, the thing that surprised me the most about Antarctica was the ice itself. I, I had never, I was thought of ice as, yeah, I've got ice. We got ice here in Fayetteville. We've once every ice. Everybody yeah. has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, but there, what what uh, really um, enthralled me was the colors of the ice. Um, you know, normally you think of ice as just being white. Well, guess mm. what? Ice can be many different colors. Hmm. And I took pictures of ice that was blue, that was gray, that was white, that um, actually had a kind of a black, you know, tint to it. And it's, it's all, 
it's all about the light, the way the angle of the light hits mm -hmm. with the ice crystals themselves that causes these different colors. Um, and you'll see that on my Instagram account and you'll see it in your calendars next year that um, the different shades of color that are uh, available with ice, which is just uh, beautiful. I mean, just, uh, you know, enthralling to, to look at. And that was the thing that actually surprised me the most. Um, I, I knew we were going to get lots of great pictures of the, the penguins and the seals and the orcas and the whales. Um, and I've got, oh my gosh, um, on the Instagram account, I have pictures of the orcas, um, unfortunately, uh, playing with the um, some of the penguins, um, you know, that oh, they yeah. would, yeah, they, they threw them around to each other, kind of like basketballs. Um, they which was, threw ooh, penguins around? Real penguins, yeah. Um, and it's, um, no of course, they're... Yeah, it was, yeah. They, they considered them an hors d'oeuvre. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. It's like a it, cat playing with a mouse, maybe. Exactly. Um, so the, um, but one of the, the lecturers was, was a, um, uh, we had, we had two PhD students who were studying the penguins and there are, there are 18 breeds of penguins in the world and there are eight of eight different species in the in Antarctica of penguins and of course everybody thinks of the um, the emperor penguins yeah and unfortunately mm -hmm. we we did not see the emperor penguins um, we were not near their their colonies but we saw primarily um, three other species um, the uh, the Adelis the uh, Gentoos um, and the uh, oh my goodness I'm drawing a blank uh, uh, chin straps yeah because they look like they have a little right. chin strap it's black black line like this and we tried um one of the uh we have, one of the other lecturers was a climatologist um uh, from scripps um out in california yeah who was talking about climate change and how it affected antarctica um and just some amazing facts about antarctica that it, it holds um, more there's more fresh water in in Antarctica in the ice than in any other place in the world. Um, really? Yeah. And the concern is, you know, with with climate change, with global warming, that that ice as it melts is going to raise, you know, water levels around the world. But one of the things that that they they told us is that the emperor penguin is the only penguin that lays its egg on actually on sea ice and sea ice is nothing more than a frozen layer of ice over the top of the ocean and that ocean obviously is, is thousands of feet deep um, beneath that sea ice and and one of the big concerns is with with global warming is that the that sea ice is is turning to slush um, mm. far early so they're they're not able to complete the breeding cycle you know the the way they want to um 
And do you guys remember that um, incredible documentary called uh, March of the Penguins? Yeah. Yes, of course uh, I do. <laughs> one of my favorites. Um, that was a French uh, photography team that was there for 18 months uh, filming that, uh, the original one. Um, and now it's, it's changed because the ice is, is, is not extending as far as it used to. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the penguins now are not having to march nearly as far because I, I believe in that documentary it was like 70 miles. Uh, something it was it was a, an incredible distance and now they're marching um, as little as as 20 or 30 miles which is still a lot but it's For you know it's, guy, yeah yeah mm -hmm. so that's a long-winded answer to you know Sandra's question about um, where, where the favorite places um, do you find that like in, in like there's that one picture of you when you were in Antarctica where there's penguins right behind you and um, I thought well you know because in my brain they're automatically friendly not that that's true obviously but how close were you able to get were they used to humans at all or did you go well you they you could actually get very close um, uh, they they wanted us to stay at least 15 to 20 feet away from them and um and one, <laughs> I remember one time we were on land and i was photographing and and i get tunnel vision when i photograph so i i you know when i when i see what i want you know i'm just completely focused on that and i felt something you know um bumping up against my leg and i looked down and <laughs> It was one of the penguins, and I was. The, the, he was trying to get by me because there are these paths that they they create by you know all of them marching, and you know you try and stay out of out of their way. And I'd been really careful not to get you know near any of them, but but I was so focused and locked in on photographing penguins that were, um, depending on the breed, the the gentoos they like to to build little nests out of pebbles and they they lay their egg on the rock and so i was photographed because they will steal each other's rocks you know and so that <laughs> there's always this kind of little you know going on about you know don't steal my rocks and the, so this penguin wanted to get by me but i was standing kind of right in the middle of the path and so i <laughs> I looked down and there he was and he looked up at me and so <laughs> I, I said sorry and then I stepped back and he just waddled you know right on by they are so much fun to um, to photograph though because they're they are so photogenic I mean they're oh just, yeah yeah I mean it, it, it's 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 hard to take a really bad picture of, of the penguins um because they, they're they just so many of them and they're they're just they're adorable um you know so that was that was great anyway. yeah holding up penguin traffic yeah holding up penguin traffic yeah um but i would yeah i would again i i would go back to antarctica in a heartbeat and as i mentioned to you earlier before we started for for folks who are listening who who didn't hear hear me say this um there is a there's there are big concerns about um avian flu 
infecting the penguin colonies. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, we had to disinfect our boots um, before we left the ship and when we came back. And we weren't allowed to, to, to put anything on the ground. Uh, like, I, mean, I had a backpack with my camera equipment, and I wasn't allowed, and no one was allowed to, to, to put their um, camera equipment, you know, or any kind of um, backpack on, on the ground. But they, they said from um, this last winter, well, the, the tourist season is, is from November through March, um, because the rest of the months, it's, uh, it's uninhabitable. I mean, it's, that's not true. Antarctica has about a thousand people who stay year round. Uh, yeah, and still a surprising well, number, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, because six months of those years are, are not four, no, four out of the six months, something like that. It's total darkness. Oh. And the temperatures are four, 40, 50, 60. Zero. Um, so this is an unusual breed that, that chooses to stay down there. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they're scientists and um, they're, God bless them for their work. I could never do that. But during the, um, the tourist season, they estimated uh, this past uh, season, they had over 100,000 people who came down there um, on the ships. And as I had mentioned, some of the ships, they never get off. They just cruise down to the sure. Antarctic Peninsula and, and go back, um, which I think is a shame. Because you know, what I got to do was, you know, for example, we went into abandoned research station um, cool. and I took pictures. Oh, yeah, it was great. There was there was they had a little library there. This was from 1970. It was a British research station that had closed. Okay. A little library and one of the books that was open was was jack london's call of the wild and Perfect. i remember yeah mom and dad reading that um to me when i was young That's things cool. like that yeah the connection is is just amazing yeah. um what other goods oh uh, sorry yeah go ahead what other animal encounters have you had like the penguin one like have you been you've obviously gotten close enough to photograph them which i know you can do with some pretty great yeah. lenses, but what other animals have you had encounters with? Well, uh, while I was in, um, in Antarctica, um, the orcas, um, I've got uh, one of the pictures that, that's on the Instagram is um, we were in the Zodiac boats and the orcas um, swam um, you know, they, they come in small groups, which are called pods. Yeah. And the, uh, one of the large males and, and you can tell there's a, there's a, um, uh, a senior member, if you will, um, the apex predator of that group, um, that you can tell by, by their, their dorsal fin, uh, the males are, are larger than the females. And this guy was, Oh my goodness. They estimated probably about 25 feet long. Um, and we're in a Zodiac that is maybe 20 oh. feet and there were eight or 10 of us. And we, we had been watching this pod come up behind us. Um, we were on our way back, you know, to the boat after being on land 
and we watch this fin, you know, this dorsal fin comes straight towards the back of the boat. And I looked at the guy and said, does, does he know we're here? Um, it's, uh, suddenly the, the um, dorsal fin just drops, just disappears. And <laughs> it goes, this large male goes right under the boat. And I fortunately, because I had positioned myself in the front because I, that's the best place to get photographs, you know, because I could swing to either side without bumping into anything. And I saw his head come up right in front of the boat. And so I got a picture of him, um, the, the blowhole um, that they inhale and exhale yeah. from. Right. I mean, I, I, if I had leaned over the front further, I could have touched it. Um, oh, and I saw this massive body just it, it looked like a mini submarine just going yeah. right up in front of us um and that was I mean, that is a memory i will i will carry forever um it was it was so exciting so that that was wonderful it, jumping back to africa um i've got on the instagram um i have a little video clip of a herd of elephants that came up to uh, a watering hole we had we had they had parked the boat right um, in the grass, uh, the front, you know, right up on shore. And these boats were, it was 30 feet long. There were eight seats right down the center. And each one of us is sitting there with all this gear. And Rosie, it's so funny, Rosie is sitting there in the chair. And before we even started the trip, the, you know, the guide, his, his name was Grant. He said, tell us about your equipment. And so everybody was showing their equipment. And, and Rosie and then came to Rosie and said, Rosie, what did you bring? She said, this, you know, <laughs> she had her iPhone <laughs> and that was it. That was the only thing she brought. And she got as good pictures as I did, except for the, the ones that are far away, sure. you know, and that, that's the advantage of, of these longer lenses, iPhones and, and, you know, the Android phone, et cetera, they're wonderful. But you can only, you know, get so close. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, when you enlarge it, that's, a, that's another issue, too. Um, so, but anyway, my point is that we were there, and this herd of elephants came up. And I have about a 30-second clip on there. Um, it, if you ever get a chance, please go to that Instagram and, and look at that video. It's uh, the, Doug Talbot Jr. Photos on yeah. Instagram. You'll find yeah. it. Yeah. You go find it. It's 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 in there, and it shows the elephants drinking the water, and uh, they they were literally with the, one of them was uh, they said we estimated about six feet away from the front of the boat, and then these there's a um, in that same clip this little baby elephant and comes up and starts drinking too um so that you know again um it's photograph what you feel and and you know the the videos and and the pictures that that just grab your heart um yeah. those are the ones to remember and i'll i'll remember that one forever um so and there there are, there are several others but i know i'm looking at the clock 
I'm, I'm concerned about time. Um, um, it's been an hour. We can go a little bit longer. Yeah. Unless you need to go. Does Stella I, need no, to go I, break? I'm, I'm, I'm good for another, you know, four or five hours. Um, so, <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But <laughs> <laughs> So I know that you've been an educator up until uh, 2019 at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Sure. And there are so many people when they become professionals that share their craft with others and inspire others. What are what are some pieces of advice that you have shared with your students um, through your classes? Well, I was teaching. Um, I did. I did a lot of academic advising. Um, you know, helping guide students to whatever whatever path they wanted to take. Now, I was in the Department of Education, so obviously the the first path or the most natural path was for, for folks to teach. But my, my approach was that um, you really have to follow your bliss. Um, and one of my favorite authors is a, a philosopher named Joseph Campbell. Um, and a quote that um, I always remember was, he said, follow your bliss and the universe will open doors for you um, that you never knew were there. Hmm. And it's hard when you're, you know, in your 20s um, to figure out what you want to do. I mean, my goodness, I, I, I changed my major four times um, in college um, and ended up as, as an English major. Um, but my point being, <laughs> is that you too, Emily? Were you an English major? I was, yeah. I switched as well. I went from business to English. Did you? Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Ray, did you ever change your major? Did or did you stick with music all the whole the whole time? I almost switched my major, actually, um, but I wound up sticking with music. What yeah. did you I wanna know what you almost switched? Was it mechanical engineering? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was uh, actually it was psychology. Um, there you go. Yeah, I, okay. I went back. Yeah, I went back and got a second bachelor's in psychology uh, at night. That was interesting. Um, there's a, but that's a long story too. But anyway, the um, my point being that I tried to I tried to to guide them. Whatever their bliss was, and I said, "What you know? What are you really interested in?" And and and. The problem that a lot of them face is that mom and dad, who are footing the bill, you know, uh, want them to, to do certain things. And it was difficult for them to, to you know, change their path. Um, and so I would try to be as, as gently persuasive to the parents, um, particularly when, you know, the student did not want to, to pursue what parents wanted um and i think that's that's the first thing that i tried to teach them was follow your bliss the second thing i tried to teach them was um don't feel that you have to have a career that you stick with for 20 or 30 years i said particularly in today's world 
you're seeing people use careers as stepping stones. Yeah. Uh, and, and you might do something for X amount of, of years and then suddenly decide you want to switch. Um, also taught him one of my favorite, favorite um, uh, phrases is that if, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. Um, <laughs> and and that's so true for all of us um you know i i i thought i was going to end up you know uh, being mr chips and a, a private school or public school you know english for 30 years and then you know never leave that school and whatever right. and that didn't happen and yet i ended up very happy you know doing what I did. That's good. Um, That's important so, though. I mean, I think a lot of people are, I think everyone is probably at some, to some degree, multi-passionate and it's, yeah. it's definitely, um, valuable to explore those, whether you're doing one thing for 20 years or for five or one, knowing what you want to do and going and doing it is really what matters. Not, exactly. Not the not that you stuck with a career for forty years or whatever. Well, look at Ming uh, that that you interviewed two weeks ago. Ming Ming graduated from Yale with an engineering degree, and then ended up, you know, a, a world famous chef. Um, so, you know, these it and and I tried to encourage them to say it's okay to change. You know, it, it's all life to me is chapters, um, and. You know that one of the beauties of life is, is that you never know what the next chapter is going to be, um, right. and it's 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 a great exploration. It's 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 an adventure. I mean, life should be an adventure. Um, I think so. And that's that's what I tried to because I in my in my office I had pictures that I had taken, you know, from from different trips, um, and it always you know uh, sparked conversations about adventure and, and travel and you know trying different things don't don't be afraid um john wayne said that courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyway yeah and, i've heard that too yeah and that's a a popular one and i and i think a lot of us get afraid you know and, and particularly i saw this in my students they were afraid to try something different try a different major for example or during you know during the summer break or or the semester break get a job doing something you've never tried before um or you know going, and, going to france and trying cooking instead for a while. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> or whatever um, there are yeah. questions in our chat i want to make sure we don't miss those Sure, um, go ahead. One of them was from Josh, our moderator, who said, did I miss the story behind the nickname? And I feel like, were we talking about that and I missed it? I don't know, but. I'm sorry, did we miss the story about what? He said, did I miss the story behind the nickname? Is it your nickname? Oh. Maybe he'll respond. Maybe we can, <laughs> I'll wait for him to respond to that. Otherwise, one, one other question is, um, what is the most frightening location you've been to in your journey, in your journeys? Oh boy. Um, well, I'll get back to Josh too, because I, I okay. want to, because everybody in my family has a nickname. Okay. Oh. Um, and that's, that's important. Um, okay. But the, I'll answer that the second one first. Um, let me 
Uh, certainly one of them was scuba diving. Um, I was, I did a, a pretty good amount of underwater photography. And then I, I gave it up because um, I found that I, I was spending too much time worrying about photographing and not enough enjoying the diving. Um, so I remember I was photographing, um, I would, we were in a semicircle and it was one of those shark feed things where they would, um, a diver would come down and sit in the center of the semicircle and, and, uh, the, the, the diver would have a chain mail suit on in case the sharks decided to, to try to bite him. And, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this shark feeding thing, by the way, because they associate food with humans and that's, that's not a good thing. But anyway, they, we were photographing these, the sharks and, and there were, there were, um, I, we were in a school of what's known as bull sharks. There are, there are about 500 species of sharks in the world. Um, wow. and, oh, they're, that's a fascinating creature. I might, we, we could do a whole lecture on, on sharks cause they're, they are so important and we're decimating them for shark fin soup, which we shouldn't be doing, mm. but yeah. these are the apex predators in the food chain. And they, they do a terrific job of, of culling or eating the sick and diseased fish. And if you don't have enough sharks, then you have too many sick and diseased fish entering the food chain, um, which is a problem. But anyway, we were photographing these bull sharks and I, I have my camera up like this and I'm looking at the viewfinder and I said, okay, well, this is a pretty good composition. And so I was, you know, fiddling with some of the knobs and the shark, I noticed, just kept getting closer and closer. And we're talking, of, this is a good size bull shark. This, we're talking about a six or seven footer. And yeah. it's, I, I, I said, how close is that? And I, as I looked up over the top of the camera, I saw his mouth open and he literally clamped down, <laughs> clamped down on my camera. And oh. I, this, and this brings a whole new meaning to wetsuit. Um, because... <laughs> I, I, I let go of the camera and this guy just literally pushed me out of the way as he swam by me like this. Um, and bull, bull sharks, they have um, the highest level of testosterone um, per kilogram of body weight of any shark in the ocean. They're extremely aggressive. Yeah. Um, and they can swim in both fresh and salt water. Um, so um, anyway, so he swims off. I'm sitting there doing like this. I mean, I, I was literally shaking. And he swims off and, and drops the camera about 10, 15 feet away from me. And I swam over. And there were his teeth marks embedded um, in the um, plastic case, you know, the underwater wow. case. And so, you know, I took this back to the, the, the dive store and said, you'll never guess what happened. And they said, what? I said, those are bull shark teeth marks. Um, and they went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like this never happens.
<laughs> never happened. And but I did get what was was great about that. I got a couple of great shots of, of his mouth, you know, oh, right before. Amazing. Amazing. Oh. Are those on your Instagram too? No, those are not on the Instagram. I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know where those are. And I have been looking for those for years thinking, oh gosh, wouldn't that be great to, to frame that in a larger. Yeah. Um, what a cool but, story behind it too. Yeah. Yeah. Fun, fun story. That was the, the one that I, I think scared me the most. Um, really. Um, I'm, cause I'm thinking back on, you know, Africa or Australia, or, Europe, new, uh, Asia, no, um, yeah, some magical, I'm thinking of magical dives, um, but no, nothing terribly scary, uh, other than that one. That was, that was okay. the worst one. Yeah. yeah. Another question was, um, will you ever write about your adventures? Oh my goodness. Um, there's a book in there, I'm sure, uh, or more than one. I'm, I'm, you know, in, in some ways, it, it, it jumps back to what we said, very, what I said at the very beginning of how my grandfather wrote that book called The Cabin. Um, it would be fun to, to write um, a book about, you know, all these travels um, and, you know, the, the adventures um, that I've been lucky enough to, to be on. Um, and looking forward to more. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've at the top of the bucket list, we've got um, coming up next April. Um, we're going out to we're going out west to some of the national parks that, that I've never photographed. Um, oh. Bryce, Zion, the Grand Canyon, um, Lake Powell and Monument Valley. And um, we're going to tour those. So that's there's a whole nother calendar guys in there. All right. Uh, which will Sign be fun. Us up. Yeah. And then, um, after that, uh, we'd like to go to the Galapagos islands. Oh uh, yeah. Then, Good animals yeah, there. Ah, uh, Darwin's. Um, yeah. If, if you want to read a really interesting book, read Darwin's origin of the species. That's, that's an amazing, insightful book. Um, remember he was, and he only spent about five weeks. Um, I'm sorry, was it five weeks or five months? Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, That's okay. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm having a um, what's known as a fog moment. Um, that we're back to nicknames now. Um, so. <laughs> that's up to you if you want to talk about it. Well, that's it. I will. I will. It's okay. fun. But, but seriously, he was he was on a five year voyage around the world, 18, um, 1831 to 1836 on the HMS Beagle. And they spent, I've forgotten the exact amount of time in, in the Galapagos Islands. But that was the what his collections um, and his observations about the differences in species between the islands. Um, was the basis for for his his work on the origin of the species and survival of the fittest and hereditary traits and all that stuff. So, yeah. but anyway, everybody in my family has a nickname, um, and uh, Ming, for example, I'm, uh, Ming's nickname is King. Um, we call him King Ming. I'm sure he he hates that, right? He hates it. Yes, he he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> and. My wife, uh, her real name is Martha, but her 
nickname is Rosie because okay. she has a very rosy disposition. Oh, and, which I is like very, that. Yeah. And then, um, oh my gosh, I've got three brothers. Um, we, <laughs> Rich is the, um, we, we call Rich, um, the, we call him Bob. Um, and then my uh, Mark, we call him Sparky. And then we call uh, my next youngest brother, uh, David, we call him Bean. And then my youngest sister, uh, Polly, we call her Pooh. And then my oldest sister, who's one year older than I am, Wendy, Wendy's is really just sort of a shortened name. We call her, we call her Wynn. Um, and then my nickname is Fog. And it's a great story about how I got that nickname. I just, I, I never can remember it. Um, so <laughs> it's... Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, but yeah, just sort of the absent-minded professor, you know, sort of gets lost in the fog. And as you can see from this interview, um, it's easy for me to <laughs> go down several different roads <laughs> all at once. Uh, so anyway, when, when we get together, it's a lot of fun because you hear you know, everybody calling each other nicknames. And, and we're very blessed because our family is so close. And as I mentioned, we, we have a Zoom meeting um, every Sunday. Um, and not everybody's able to, yeah, to talk you know, to get on every, every week. But, um, I, I, I feel so lucky that we have that closeness, um, because we know we can, you know, count on each other for, for anything on any time. And that, and that's, and particularly as, as we get older. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah it should be. It, it should be. You're right, Emily. Um, and, and the, you know, the, I'm convinced the most important thing we all have in our lives are our families and friends. Um, that's that's really what makes the life worthwhile. And and all these wonderful trips we've been on, you know, it, it's making new friends um, and and sharing that, um, you know, with our family members, um, and which I'm doing through photography. And one thing I just want to touch on is that I'm trying to figure out how to use my photography. Um, for conservation um, in, in better ways than, or more ways, I should say, not let's say better, but um, I mean, I support different groups, you know, like the World Wildlife Fund mm -hmm. and Nat Geo. And um, there's one that mm, some people may not be aware of. It's called the NRDC, Natural Resources Defense Council. Mm, okay. They do a lot of legal work uh, to uh, protect wildlife um, or to sue certain organizations or, or policies that are, are destructive to wildlife. And, and I think that's really important to um, try and figure out how are we, how can I help save, um, you know, these beautiful creatures that, that I've been able to see yeah. uh, and photograph. Um, and so I'm, what I'm experimenting with, um, I want to just, take my pictures and, and send them to these different organizations and say, Hey guys, you can, I don't expect any payment for these. Cause I don't do this for money. You know, just, right. um, if you can use these in any way, use them. 
and, and if they can inspire people to do it. And, and it's, it's amazing how one picture can make a difference. Um, I don't know, you guys may remember this, but this was many years ago, there was a, a guy who signed up on a tuna fishing boat and he signed up as a cook and he took videos of dolphins being dragged up in the tuna nets. Um, and that inspired so many people to alter the way the tuna fishermen, yes. you know, were catching them. You guys remember that? I remember that movement happening. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just anti-dolphin logos on the tuna cans now, or at least most of them, or they were yeah, anyway exactly. for a long time. No, that's true. That's true. Um, and, you know, what do they call it? Um, dolphin safe tuna dolphin or something? Safe, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Um, and then there was a picture National Geographic did um, um, of the the last surviving white rhino, northern white rhino. Uh, it was on the cover of one of the Nash Geos. This was back in 2018. Um, and it showed the, the rhino lying on its side as it was um, um, taking its last breath and breaths and the caretaker had wrapped his arms around it. And it was ah, just, it brought tears to my eyes because yeah. it was such a powerful photograph. Um, and, you know, things, my point being that, that we, we need to take care of, of this planet. Um, it's, it's the only one we've got. And, and it really is a living, breathing organism. And all of these inhabitants, the wildlife, we, we need to learn to cohabitate um, better. And, and we can do that. We can do that. I mean, um, we just have to get enough people on board. And, and I think one of the ways to inspire people um, is through photography. Um, so that's, that's a, uh, a mission on is to try to, to get more people to take care of all these beautiful critters. Um, yeah. yeah, cause they deserve a life too. They really do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I was going to make sure is everybody can find you and follow your work on Instagram until you have your website going and your Instagram is Doug Talbot. Talbot has two T's at the end, junior JR photos on Instagram. So Doug Talbot, junior photos. Um, so people can go find you there and follow you and watch your adventures happen. And also look back at your past adventures and see some of the cool things we've talked about today and oh, things like that. Yeah. And um, hopefully you'll find that picture of the inside of the shark mouth and get to post that. <laughs> We'd love to see it. <laughs> I'll send it to both of you if I, and, and Josh too, because I know he's, he's on. He uh, love that too, yeah. Yeah, if I can ever find that photo, that's one of, that's always haunted me. It's like, where did that picture go? Yeah, so maybe the shark swallowed it. Um, you never know. <laughs> he just swallowed the whole card. That's right. right. He took the film out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> crazy. What a treat uh, for me to to be able to 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 visit with with all three of you um, and anybody who's been watching. I, I hope it's been helpful. 
because um, it. I'm so lucky. I I I, I live live a very charmed life and um, a very grateful life. And I want to close with with something that that uh, my favorite prayer that I say every morning is, Lord, please help me want what I have. I think that's so important because all of us can appreciate, you know, all the good things that we have in life. And all of us do have a lot of good things. Uh, so that's, uh, that's important, I think, too. There's a lot to, to be grateful that, for. Feel that appreciation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that is an incredible way to to wrap up our show tonight, Doug. Honestly, this has been incredible. You have lived such an adventurous life. You have so many stories to tell, and it is clear by the audience that we've had here today that you are also very much loved for what you do. So, thank you so much for being on tonight. It's been my pleasure, really, Trey, Emily. Thank you. Um, you guys are a gift. And and oh, Josh, thank you. Too. Thank you. Yeah. for what for what you do, um, it's you know artists, you know love to to share, and you provide a platform for that. So thank you for your work. I really, it's wonderful. Thank yeah. you for those words. That yeah. that helps us keep going. Absolutely. Wait, we yeah. feel like we're doing something right sometimes. <laughs> You're doing great work. So please keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And I hope tomorrow or today or right now that you're able to photograph something that you feel. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.